And it tells us that Luther wanted peace with God. He yearned and craved for it. He had realized that the world could not grant his heart's desire, and he hoped to find it in the cloister. He certainly did his utmost to obtain it. He obeyed the monastic rules scrupulously, performed the most menial services, and went about begging on behalf of the monastery. He was, perhaps, the most sincere, conscientious monk. Luther at Heidelberg. But Luther had another task to perform. Having arrived at a university which exercised great influence over the west and south of Germany, he was there to strike a blow that should shake the churches of these countries. He began, therefore, to write some theses which he purposed maintaining in a public disputation. Such discussions were not unusual, but Luther felt that this one, to be useful, should lay forcible hold upon men's minds. His disputation, besides, naturally led him to present truth under a paradoxical form. The professors of the university would not permit the discussion to take place on their large theater, and Luther was obliged to take a hall in the Augustinian convent. April 26 was the day appointed for the disputation. Luther's reputation attracted a large audience— Professors, students, courtiers, citizens came in crowds. The following are some of the doctor's paradoxes, for so he designated his theses. Number one, the law of God is a salutary doctrine of life. Nevertheless, it cannot aid man in attaining to righteousness. On the contrary, it impedes him. So there's no salvation by the law. Next one, man's works, however fair and good they may be, are, however, to all appearance, nothing but deadly sins. Oh boy, in our natural state, all our works are sin. And the Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Next, God's works, however unsightly and bad they may appear, that is, to the unconverted man, have, however, an everlasting merit. Yes, there's value to those works that God has performed. And then next, to say that works done out of Christ are truly dead, but not deadly, is a dangerous forgetfulness of the fear of God. Oh, to dismiss dead works is certainly an evil that will lead to condemnation. It is a deadly thing to say that works done out of Christ may be accepted. Next, since the fall of man, free will is but an idle word, and if man does all he can, he still sins mortally. All poor sinners are shut up to condemnation if they have not a Savior. They are left in their own free will and 
to despair. Next, it is certain that man must altogether despair of himself in order to make capable of receiving Christ's grace. And yes, that's true. Unless we are brought to the point where we cannot do it ourselves and we are hopeless, we will never call upon the Lord as our all-sufficient Savior. Next, it the wisdom which endeavors to learn the invisible perfections of God in his works puffs up, hardens, and blinds a man. Oh, how quickly that happens. People get blinded by their pride, and they must be humbled to be brought to the foot of the cross for cleansing in the blood of Jesus. And one more. The law calls forth God's anger, kills, curses, accuses, judges, and condemns whatsoever is not in Christ. And of course that we have to agree. The book of Romans chapter 1 tells us that the wrath of God is upon all the wicked who do not flee to the Lord Jesus. And this is the reason that God has sent us a Savior, because men are lost without hope and need to be saved. And of course we bid you to consider your condition before God, that you might trust and look unto Jesus to be your Savior. Now stay tuned with us today as we come to another piece by the Reformation Choir where they sing for us today. You've been listening to the Reformation Choir. This is Ian Gallagher. We're moving now to the pulpit ministry of our church, to the Psalm 32 and the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. 
May the Lord open your heart, draw you to receive God's word today, that you might know the joy of sins forgiven. And praise God, look at the answer. And thou forgivest mine iniquity. There is the pardoning mercy of God at work in David's life. That was the great need that he had. Now, Psalm 32, we're not told when it was written, for what occasion, but we know of some glaring great sins in David's life. And in this occasion, he couldn't live with it. There was such a deep-seated need in his heart. And that is the case of many. That is the case of multitudes today. Might be even true of you today. You are carrying a tremendous burden, and within you, you are crying, my sin, my sin, my sin. What shall I do? The answer is confess it. Here is the need for justification. You need to be pardoned. You need to hear those words, the Lord forgave my sin. Now, what is the provision for this? Looking back now at verse 32, it would have been impossible for David to write, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, if there was no provision of forgiveness. And this is the wonder of the gospel, and this is the marvel of justification, that God has made a way, a provision for a guilty person to be saved. Now, the Bible teaches, of course, that it's not humanly possible for a man to justify himself. Can a man be just with God? Can you make yourself right with God? The answer is an absolute no. And Martin Luther had to find that out the hard way, and multitudes try to find peace with God through tormenting the body and denying themselves of this or that. And Paul said, if I give my body to be burned, it profits nothing, absolutely nothing. Micah says, if I had oceans of oil, profits nothing. Peter said that redemption is purchased not by silver or gold. And so it is impossible for man to buy his way out of the debt and the guilt of sin. Isaiah said that my righteousnesses, that is, my very best works, are but filthy rags. It's like binding up a wound with filthy rags filled with bacteria, washing the wound in bacteria water and rags that will only increase the infection and the disease. And so we see that the answer for sin, it has to be God's provision. If God doesn't provide, there's no way out. And this, of course, is the great good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's better for me to show you than tell you. So I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 3 and to verse 20 and to just read here this good news that there is God's provision. God has provided a way that exhausted man, by seeking to be saved by works, exhausted man can be saved by faith. <clears throat> Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So there's the impossibility 
There needs now to be another way, another provision. Verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's the great need. The need is all have sinned, not Jew, Gentile, all men in this world are fallen, guilty, sinners. And then verse 24 is now God's provision, being justified. That means declared righteous, freely. That means without a cause. By his grace, for free, gratuitously, through, and here's the provision now, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so it leads us to his perfect living, atoning death on the cross as our Redeemer, whom God hath set forth. God hath done this. This is God's plan to be a propitiation. That means a sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath through faith in his blood. What is the provision God makes for us? The blood of Jesus. And it is the blood of Jesus that covers over, that makes atonement, that brings peace between your soul and the God of heaven. And so here's the answer. Here's the secret that Luther had to find out. And you are hearing today through the gospel that God has made the full provision. And in that is God's great mercy. God did not leave us to perish. God did not leave us without a Savior, without hope. He sent his Son, and his blood, poured out at Calvary as a sacrifice, turns away God's wrath. When he looks upon his redeemed child, he sees no sin. Can you understand justification? This is the power of it. God sees me through the blood of his Son. And when I am under the blood, he sees no sin. The result then, well, Romans 5, 1, there is therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's the conclusion of the matter. This is the gospel of grace. This is the gospel of Christ's sacrifice, suffering in my place. And you and I need to realize this is God's one-time provision. It will never be repeated. There will never be another Savior, another sacrifice, another's blood of atonement, or a new plan. This is God's one-time provision. Avail yourself of it. Plead it. Run to it. Hide. Take refuge in the saving grace and power of the Lord Jesus. And so as we think of communion today and taking this bread and cup, it's good for us just to sit a while under the cross, just to meditate a while upon our suffering Savior, because here is God's provision for us. 
And just as we take this cup and bread, it's a feast of God's love to our souls, and we take that and, and enjoy that, we must look to the one who is God's bread and is God's sacrifice for us. Think of the torment that our Lord Jesus went through. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there is the antidote for the torment of our souls. And because our Lord Jesus was tortured, tormented, suffered infinitely of eternal value, his sacrifice was of eternal value, there is no more torment for us. This is the liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage of a religion of works. We are justified by faith. Hear our Lord Jesus cry, it is finished. Just one word in the Greek, teleo. It's done. It's done. It's over. Finished. It really comes down to this question. Do you believe that? This is the way peace will flood into your heart, by saying, I accept that it's done. It's finished. No more payment. No more suffering for salvation. I have now peace with God. It's done. I accept the sacrifice is all sufficient. It's finished. And my sins are blotted out. They're covered over. And that's what brings us into the blessedness of Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, I have a fourth point, and it's the personal receiving of justification. And I want to stick to the psalm. I want to just look at how David came into the personal acceptance and enjoyment of this peace with God, receiving justification. Look at verse 5. He says here, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And there he came into the enjoyment of sins forgiven. Now, how can you get to that? How can you get to the place where David made that statement, the Lord forgave my sin? Well, notice in verse 6 that it comes by prayer. For this shall everyone that is a godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Praise God today, God can be found. We're living in the day of grace. We're living in the day of opportunity. God can be found today. And your prayer of faith, your asking in faith, brings this miracle, this justification into your heart, into your own life. So you've got to ask, you've got to seek, you've got to knock. Faith steps out to ask God for this. Have you done that? You're not a Christian until you take that step of faith, until you personally ask. You are still in your sins, carrying the burden, until you come and ask for that justifying power to be applied to your own heart. So faith will seek. It's not silent. It's not asleep. It's not ignoring the reality. Faith acts on the invitation to receive pardon from God. Have you done that? That's the vital question. And then, of course, faith knocks. 
and it knocks. It does not take no for an answer. It insists, I must have this blessing. I cannot be at peace in this world in my sin until I have this very blessing of God. And so it is made applicable, applied, personal to you by your prayer, your prayer, your asking. It has to come out of your lips. Paul said that with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. You've got to personally call on the Lord Jesus, and he will work this mighty, mighty blessing of justification within your own heart. Now, lastly, we come to the great blessings of justification. You will notice how the psalm began with that, blessed is, that's verse 1, then verse 2, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. But I want us to go down to verse 11. Here's the blessing. Note in verse 11 that justification makes us righteous in God's sight. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. God calls men righteous. How can that be? We're all sons of Adam. We've all sinned. We've all offended God. How can it be possible that we could have this title of being declared righteous? Well, that's the blessing of justification. Our shorter catechism answers the question, what is justification? It is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So God declares men righteous. That's what it means to be a saint. When Paul wrote, or various authors wrote to churches, their letters, they started off with saints that are at Rome, or saints that are at Galatia, whatever way they worded it, but they referred to the recipients of the letter as saints. How could they be saints? Which means holy, because they are in Christ Jesus, in Christ, under his blood, having received the pardon and the provision that comes to them. Now, you'll notice also in verse 11, you have the word righteous addressed to these saints. And then he says, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. And so it's doubled. The statement, the title, the declaration of justification is doubled. They are referred to as righteous and upright in heart. And here is the great blessing that the gospel brings to you and me. We can be considered before God as upright in heart. That's the wonder. That's amazing. And it is the de declaration of God. Because we have gone to the cross, we have found this wonderful peace with God. One more blessing, verse 10. The difference that God makes now between the wicked and the godly. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, colon. That's like a, a stop and now a differentiation. But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. See how God treats people differently? 
He looks upon people who are wicked. They have never come to the cross. They have never been justified. They have never been declared righteous by faith. They have never called on the Lord for the gift of salvation. That's the wicked. God sees them and calls them the wicked. But they that trust in the Lord, he refers to them as the righteous, as the upright. And God looks upon this world and he sees that distinction between the saved and the lost, the righteous and the unrighteous. And God looks upon us and he sees that now, even in this meeting, he sees those who are under the blood and he says, you're righteous, you're upright. He sees those who have never, they've rejected the blood. They are the wicked in the eyes of God. When we come to our deathbed, when we close these eyes in death, there will be that distinction also. The Bible says that blessed is the death of the righteous. Blessed is the death of the righteous. There's no iniquity. There's no uncleanness. There's no rejection. God sees them as acceptable and right in his sight. And then on the judgment day, when God separates the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the wicked, and he will say those to his left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, I never knew you. They have never been to the cross. They've never put faith in Christ. They have never been justified. Depart from me. But those on his right, he calls blessed. Enter thou the blessed of the Father into his presence. Why? What makes the difference? Justified. Just as if I had never sinned. And that's the blessedness of the righteous, of the one who has been declared righteous in God's sight. And that will be true for the Christian for all eternity. And in heaven, no one will Google up Ian Golliher and look for his sins. That's what we do nowadays, isn't it? You want to know about somebody? Google their name. Well, on earth, there may be things with all of us that are questionable. But in heaven, Google will come up empty. No matches to this request. No sin found in God's people. Hallelujah. What a Savior, what salvation we have. What a great thing to have this justification by faith alone. And that's what started the Reformation in Martin Luther's heart. And that's what spread it to Germany that night when he posted his 95 theses and he protested against the seals of indulgences that men could buy their way out of purgatory or someone else out of purgatory by putting coin into the uh, seller's box. And of course, we're called to stand fast in this liberty by which we are saved and justified. Praise God. We have a great gospel to stand upon and a great Savior to read. You have been listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of this broadcast or would like to hear it again, you can go to ltbs.ca. You will also see ways you may support 
this gospel ministry. And you will find details about our church in Scarborough, where Pastor Larry Saunders is the minister. In Port Hope, where Reverend Reggie Cranston is the minister. In Barrie, where Reverend Anthony DiDerno is the minister. And in Buffalo, where Reverend Philone is the minister. You will find all their details at ltbs.ca. If I can be of personal help, I would love to open the Bible to talk and pray one-to-one with you so that you may know you are saved and sure of it. Call me at 604-897-2040 or email me at ltbsradio at gmail.com. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Until the same time next week on this station, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His loving care.